Hey guys, welcome to On Card, a new TCG podcast. Uh, some of you might recognize me from the Bite Size Gaming one. Uh, you will also recognize my co-host, Steven. Hello. He was on an episode there. Uh, both of us have an affinity for TCGs, so we're kind of trying out another new venture here with a TCG podcast. And we're gonna we're not just going to focus on one TCG, which I know most people only play one. We actually play more than once, and we're open to trying out new ones as they come up, and love to share the experiences with you and our experiences along the way. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, my name is John. Um, been playing TCGs for quite a while now. Uh... And I'm Steven. I've been actively playing TCGs for about five years, but I've been in and out of trading card games since about elementary school. Yeah, a lot of people tend to start pretty young with them. Yeah, definitely with the popularity of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon just sucks kids into it. And then I kind of fell off of it because, you know, being a 10-year-old, you don't really have disposable income to spend on cards. You gotta spend on the good stuff, like chocolate bars. Right? Who, who wants to go buy packs of cards when you can have chocolate? So anyway, um, I guess first we'll kind of just start off with like our introductions into TCGs. Uh, so me personally, I started way back when I was younger. Uh, I played Pokemon. I started with Base Set, which was forever ago. <laughs> it feels like. I started probably back in 97. I was like five, maybe six. And I still didn't even exist yet, so you got a big head start on me. Yeah. Um, I, I really started with Pokemon. I played Pokemon until... Probably till I was like nine, maybe ten. And I, I kind of fell out of Pokemon then for a little while. Kind of got back into it when I was like 12. But that was also right around the time Yu-Gi-Oh! came out. So I got big into that for a little while. And um, my beginnings... With Pokemon, I never got into the TCG. I was always more into the video games. But I hit it hard with Yu-Gi-Oh! Around the time I was, I want to say, third grade. So about seven or eight. And I played it... Uh, through a few years in elementary school and around the time when synchros were introduced, which were on the 5Ds era, I fell off of Yu-Gi-Oh! because I didn't really have anyone to play with and I didn't know what the concept of a local gaming store was. We didn't have any anywhere near where I lived. Yeah, that was pretty much how it was for me too. Uh, at least for Yu-Gi-Oh! in that aspect. I really didn't have anyone to play with and I left right around when the Egyptian god cards were, like, introduced. I didn't have anyone to play with. Also, didn't know what a local gaming store was. So, it was really just a bunch of, oh, I'm going to go to a friend's house, play Yu-Gi-Oh! with them. Out of our little makeshift decks. Mm -hmm. And just have a little bit of fun. And then it, like, all my friends just quit playing... So I was like, I don't want to play this anymore because I have no one to play with. 
So I like collected cards for a little while after. Didn't really play. Pretty young. Oh, this card looks cool. I'll keep it. Mm -hmm. Did the same thing with Pokemon for a while. Yeah. Like, I always had Pokemon cards growing up, but I never actually learned how to play the game until one day my friend and I just thought, hey, let's figure out how this game works. And then he creamed me and I never played again until I was in, like, college. So you so you played before you came here? Before yeah. you moved here? Yeah, so, like I said, when I was, I want to say late middle school, early high school, my friend and I learned how to play this, this is bulk cards thrown together to make a deck. So nothing that actually functioned. But we played that one day and then we never really played again. But when I was in college, I picked up Pokemon because a friend of mine knew how to play and was like, I want to try something different. And then I played for maybe a month before I fell off of it. And then I picked it up again after I graduated and moved out here. I started playing in our local scene, and then I've kind of fallen off of it since because I've been splitting my focus. I'm trying to narrow it back down into one or two TCGs where I am now. You were you were spread pretty thin for TCGs there for a while. Yeah, I was playing four at my maximum. Yeah, you were playing the Dragon Ball, the Magic, the Pokemon. And Digimon. And, yeah, and Digimon, which is a fairly new game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Digimon came around in the States. You know, we first got our product here to open to the public in or on Black Friday. Yes. Last year. And I ended up buying a box, trading around with some people, and I made a deck that functioned relatively well for a deck that was made out of a booster box. But I kind of fell off of it because I didn't keep up with what what was, what was going on. Yeah, what was going on. And once new sets started coming out, that was more incentive to just kind of leave it behind and Pursue the games I play now, which are mostly Magic and Dragon, Magic and Dragon Ball Super. Yep, uh, which is something I've recently started picking up. Was the Dragon Ball? Uh, I play a lot of Magic, which is one of the games me and you really connected on was Magic when we first met. Mm -hmm. uh, but started playing the Dragon Ball, and I'm, I'm liking it. Yeah, and. It's a rough game to get into, because I got into it back in November, around that Digimon time. So at that point, my focus was pick one. I ended up going the Dragon Ball route, because it was more of an established game here in the States. And it seemed to have more of a longevity going forward, and I just enjoyed the mechanics a lot more. But since then, I put more money than I'm proud to admit into that game. A lot more time than I probably should have, but I've been having a lot of fun with it. Seems to happen with TCGs, huh? Yeah. Let's, let's not talk about price of cards. <laughs> like, price of cards is one thing. But when you start thinking about how much money you spent on TCGs not on cards, it gets worse. Yeah. Sleeves, deck boxes, tournament entries, etc., etc. It, it adds up. Yeah. But... It's all in the name of having a good time. But bar it, far be it from us, uh, it is it is almost feels illegal to play cards that aren't sleeved. Yeah, and it's like it's it's not a rule to have a playmat, but a playmat is such a good way to personalize your gaming space. It really is. It's playmats are like a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, you said like you like you said we both play Magic. And that's one of the things we bonded over. What got you into Magic? Uh, the interactions is what got me into Magic. So, like I said, I played a lot of Pokemon. 
before I started playing Magic. Mm-hmm. And Pokemon is very much a hardcore turn-based game. It's, it's it's I take my turn, you take your turn, and you go that way the entire time. Right. Magic definitely kind of has a center focus of, oh, you're doing this on your turn. I can do this. I can do that. I'm very much into the interaction of it all. Mm-hmm. Definitely the ability to not only play cards on your opponent's turn, but to one, stop what your opponent's doing, or say, like, you have a big dude that's going to hit me in the face. On your turn, I can return it to your hand when you try and attack me with it. Right. That type of interaction isn't something that you get out of Pokemon. It's really not something you get out of a lot of TCGs. Now, don't get me wrong in saying that. I do still enjoy Pokemon for what it is. It's not my personal favorite, but I do still like the game. Right, it's still a very valid, fun game. We just have our preferences. Like, uh, like, I would probably be more inclined to play more Pokemon than I would some other tarot card games, whereas you would probably be more inclined to play other card games as opposed to Pokemon. It's really all just about preferences. Yeah, definitely. And also, each trading card game, they can all be complex in their own right, but different games have their own levels of complexity. Right. And uh, Magic, it's it's on a whole nother level once you get into some of the weirder interactions between cards. The complexity can go through the roof. Yeah, like... uh just like stack stuff because magic has this thing called the stack which is an order where things resolve it's it can get really complicated mm-hmm. not to mention just multiple static effects lining up at the same time right. having to navigate through all of those to see what's actually going on in front of you but then again you can also turn around and say magic can be very very basic i'm just gonna do this play a big dude I'm going to play some big dudes, I'm going to cast some spells that deal damage directly to your face, and I'm going to make the dude try and hit you in the face. So, the game is what you make of it, and what you and your playgroup make of it, rather than it just being one style of gameplay, which is one thing I really like about Magic, is you can play it so many different ways. So many ways. You've got Commander, Standard, Modern, Legacy, Popper, and they all play completely differently. Whereas, like, Commander, even just Commander, you have your Basic Commander and Competitive Commander, or CDH. Your Basic Commander, most of what's going on is on the board. People attacking, lots of creatures. But in CDH, all of those interactions, or a lot of the interactions are happening on the stack. Which is, like, I'm going to play a spell. I'm going to counter your spell. I'm going to counter your spell countering my spell. And doing things like that. So just those two facets of this of the same rules that just shows the flexibility of magic gameplay. Yeah. And then you get into the really fun side of Commander, where you play two-headed giant commander. To each his own. <laughs> but that that's that's another story for another time. Um So we've talked a bit about magic. Let's talk a bit about Dragon Ball. So what was the draw that initially got you into Dragon Ball. Oh, um, 
So this actually ties a bit back into Magic in my earlier days. I had started playing Magic by going to tournaments. Uh, standard tournaments specifically, where it's 60 card decks and the, de uh, the legal card pool rotates every so often. That's how I started getting into Magic, and then I shifted over to Commander, just playing casually with friends and whatnot at the LGS. But then, over time, I kind of fell off the competitive side of Magic. Uh, Dragon Ball drew me back into that competitive side of TCGs, where it's 1v1, you're playing to win, and I very much like that style of play. And in Commander, you can play to win, you can play to have fun, and just talk with your friends and have a good time. But there's something about Dragon Ball just sitting down in a competitive environment where you and your opponent have the same objective to beat each other's faces in with iconic Dragon Ball characters. And I just really like that aspect of the game. Yep, that's uh, that's pretty much what drew me into. Uh, I've never really done highly competitive TCG games, but Dragon Ball kind of fulfills that for me so i i get to because because like we said we both play commander magic and every time i sit down and play a commander game i'm just i'm here to have fun that's how i play so playing dragon ball i was like okay the objective here is to win let's see how quick i can do this mm -hmm. so and you're saying like how quick i can do this there are a variety of decks that are popular right now in Dragon Ball. Decks that will stall you out until the very late game, or decks that will try and kill you turn two and everywhere in between. So right now, with the card pool that we have in Dragon Ball, it's open to a lot of different deck styles. Whether oh, yeah. you want to play uh, control, aggro, or my personal favorite, hand control. Yeah, I know, I'm a jerk. But... I digress. There are just so many different ways to play. And a, many different types of decks can be viable and do well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, like, decks. Two, two of our personal decks that we have. Uh, your Reboot Gohan deck, that is what we call a glass cannon. Friends don't let friends play Reboot Gohan. No, yes, no someone, one stopped me. Someone is winning turn two, whether it's me or you, that's up in the air. Yeah, and just a little bit of context on why that is. In Dragon Ball, you start with eight life in total, and each life is depicted by a face-down card. And you take those cards to your hand when you take damage, or from some of your own card skills, you can take them to your hand to just gain card advantage. Reboot Gohan is focused on taking as much life to hand as you can early, doing what's called awakening your leader, or putting it to its backside, and then trying to hit your opponent for all of their health on the second turn. And in that process, it has a line of text on it that says, activate main, so activate it during your turn. Uh, switch this card to active mode, meaning it can attack again. You lose the game at the end of the turn. So that really backs up that phrase, someone's losing the game this turn. I don't care who it is. Yes, which is very, very aggro. Yeah, very aggro, very so, glass cannon. Yes. 
and almost sometimes can feel like a combo deck when you're trying to get those pieces to line up the right way. Yes. Uh, which combo brings me back to magic, which is another reason why I got into it, is there's so many combos you can put together. Mm -hmm. in. Um, so a game that we haven't really touched in a long time, Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm -hmm. Do you know anything that's going on in standard Yu-Gi-Oh! right now? Absolutely nothing. So we have some homework. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing I had suggested to John is uh, we try and get some, uh, just get two relatively recent starter decks, hopefully once they came on the same series, if they do it that way. And we use those as ways of learning the game. And also, hopefully sometime in the future, bringing on one of our local Yu-Gi-Oh! guys. Absolutely. And just trying to uh, learn some stuff and get someone who actually knows this information just to make sure we're not spouting any false info. So, being full front forward, uh, we do not know Yu-Gi-Oh! very well right now, but we are working to fix that. Mm -hmm. Um, You played some Digimon. Mm -hmm. I've played some Digimon. And we both played around the release, and I think we kind of fell off around the same time. Yeah. Uh, it was a It's a pretty good card game. Yeah, I enjoyed it when I played it. It's just, like I had mentioned, I had to pick which route to go, and I picked the Dragon Ball route. Cause, it felt uh, more competitive. Yeah, and if you didn't already know, the Dragon Ball card game and the Digimon card game are both made by the same company. Yep. So they actually do their um, their promo pack system the same way, which I have some positive and negative opinions on how they do that. Which, do you know what I'm referring to by their promo pack system? No. So what they do, at least the way they distribute here at Nerd HQ, when you participate in a Dragon Ball or Digimon tournament, assuming the prize support is there, every participant in the tournament, no matter how you placed, will get a promo pack. And that promo pack will contain one card that can only be obtained through those promo packs. And these cards can be wildly powerful and sought after and valuable, or they can be on the lower end of things. And I I have mixed opinions on the system. On one hand, it gets people out and playing, and even if you don't do well, you still get a cool prize for winning, or you get a cool prize for participating that you can use for trade bait to improve your own deck. But on the other hand, it makes these cards harder to find, especially when they're out of print. Which is fair. I can see where you're coming from that. So, have you looked into the new My Hero Academia trading card at all? I have not. I've thought about buying a box even before learning anything about it. I don't know anything about its systems, but I've recently start. I've recently rewatched the show and caught all the way up to the current season. Uh, I don't know if they still have product. If they do, I'll try to pick some up if I get the chance. If you do, what would you say to doing a My Hero Academia unboxing show? Yeah, I'd definitely be willing to do that. Okay. Have you looked into its systems at all? Uh, not yet. Uh, I'm going to do some research on it this week. So. Now, I do know one of the products that comes with it is, uh, if I remember what I read correctly, it's a Bakugo and Midoriya starter decks that come in the same product. 
Okay. Question. Bakugo or Deku? Bakugo. Definitely a Bakugo guy. Understandable. Mr. Red. <laughs> you know. Red. How about you? Bakugo or Deku? Definitely Deku. Green. Not green. Yep. So, got kind of that stuff. Introductions kind of out of the way. What do you think of the current newest set for Magic, Strixhaven? It has its good, it has its bad. Not a huge fan of some of the ways they've implemented Magecraft, especially. Magecraft is definitely a tricky mechanic. And there are, there's some obscene things you can do with Magecraft. There is. There's some nutty things you can do with Magecraft. Mm -hmm. For example, the the new dwarf. It's a Magecraft create a treasure token. That card on its own can just generate you so much advantage. Mix that with Goldspan Dragon. Whenever you create a treasure token, you create two treasure tokens, right? Uh, no, I or believe it's the... treasure tokens yeah. you have tap or sacrifice yeah. for two mana. Yeah, essentially the same effect, just yeah, different. Yeah, same same concept. Yeah, you can get a lot of mana out of that. Yeah, and then the um, the blue wizard that has Magecraft draw a card. Uh, there's also the. I want to say it's Magecraft, but Jodzi? Remind me which one Jodzi is. The... It's the the creature on one side that says whenever you cast or copy an instant, reveal the top card of your... I believe it's reveal the top card of your deck. Uh, if it's a land, it goes to your hand, but goes to the battlefield. And if it's a spell, you can cast it for one instead of paying its mana cost? I think it's if it's an instant or sorcery specifically. If it's is an, it? If it's an instant or sorcery, you may cast you... it by paying one generic instead of its mana cost. Yeah, I believe you're right on that. Yeah, and I know um, Mike here at the shop, he built a deck around it using effects such as like Baral Chief of Compliance. Yep. Which make your instant sorceries cost one mana less. Yes. So if you're going to cast an instant or sorcery from the top of your deck... By paying one instead of its mana cost, Baral reduces that to zero, and you can just churn through your deck as through as many instant or sorcery. Uh, Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it by paying one rather than paying its mana cost. If it's a land card, put it onto the battlefield. Oh, that's better than I thought it was. So great, because the if it's a land, it doesn't even come in tap. Mm -hmm. And with it being uh, being any non-land card, you could run it with Helm of Awakening rather than Baral. And if in Helm of Awakening it says all spells cost one mana less to cast. Granted that affects your opponents as well, but if you're doing that with Jodzi, you go through your entire deck until you hit a land. And you and, just play things for free. Mm -hmm. So that's like Jodzi as a commander cast a Cultivate... Mm -hmm. Reveal off the top of your deck. You could hit an a 
Avacyn. I'm going to pay one for an Avacyn. Well, not in the Jotzi deck, but same, right, same concept but, applies. Yeah, same concept. Uh, you could do... Because on the reverse side, it's a green sorcery. Mm-hmm. You could do... Has to cultivate, reveal at the top. Put down with the East Tree for one. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know uh, Jodzi, it's mono blue on its front side, and it's mono green sorcery on its back side, and it's a green green two. Put all to... land cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And then if you have eight or more lands, you return it to you return that uh, the card you cast to your hand. Yep. So then you can cost Jodzi, cast Jodzi. Yeah, and it, and it should be noted those lands come in untapped. So that's just a really good card in the format, especially in Simic colors, which mm-hmm. already has really good land play. Yes, yeah, Simic, de- Simic over the last few years has definitely gotten a lot of pieces in Commander to really flush out its removal, its card draw, its ramp. And then, if you've never seen a Simic deck come back from a board wipe, you're missing out, because it can, it can go from a completely wiped board to populating an entire field. It's ridiculous how fast they can come back. Yeah. That's what my Ajax does. Used to be AC, but... Um, like, you've played against my Verizal. Yep. And Verizal is another Simic commander, but it focuses heavily on the kicker mechanic. And what it does is it copies kicker spells by removing plus and plus one counters from the commander. And... Kicker spells aren't great. They cost a lot of mana. They do. But some of them ramp you. Right. And you also have things like a uh, Zendikar Resurgent, which can just tap all your lands for two. So Actually, don't run that card. You don't? No, I don't like paying seven mana for an enchantment. That does nothing. That's just my personal preference. I do think it's a good card. I just oh, don't yeah, like absolutely. playing it. But I play things like a Grow from Ashes. Oh, yes. Which is a three-mana sorcery. Search your deck for a basic land, put it on the battlefield, with a kicker cost of two. If you pay this kicker cost, you go get two basic lands. Well, if I'm playing that with Verizal out, I pay five mana to go get four basic lands from the battlefield untapped. Yeah. And since those come in untapped, I can use that to continue my turn. Yep. So we, we talk a lot about, about a lot about magic right now. Um... One of the big things that's really fun in Magic is the different colors mm-hmm. and what each color and color combination wants to do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also the the concept of having allied colors and enemy colors as well. Because of in Magic, there are the five colors, and if you put them around a pentagon. The color, if you look at, for example, white, its two allied colors would be blue and green, which means uh, what white's philosophy is aligns more well with blue and green than it would with red or black, which would be its enemy's colors. Right, so there's a lot of uh, like synergy between those colors. Mm-hmm. And... Personally, I've had a lot more fun playing enemy colored decks because of those those opposing ideals and those opposing objectives can make some really interesting decks. Right. So, uh, like white black or Orzov. 
Mm-hmm. Orzov is my favorite of the color combinations. Uh, it is a lot of time, I would say, just kind of color comboed as a life gain, life drain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's what Orzov does is gain life, lose life. And don't get me wrong, that's what it does a lot. But it's definitely the best uh, color pairing for removal. Yes. Because some of the best removal spells are in Orzov. Like, for example... You have your uh, good... Uh... Board wipes like Planner Cleansing, Phyrexian Rebirth. And, and, uh, and Black, you have a lot of single-targeted removal, like Murder. And if you look at the multicolor removal spells, like Anguished Unmaking, it's three mana, exile any non-land permanent, and lose three life. You can just get rid of any problematic thing on the board, barring lands. Right, and that's... Black-white, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's Black-white yeah. and one. For, yeah, Black-white and For one. an instant. And the one of the key things about it, it can hit Planeswalkers. Yep, because it's uh, non-man permanent, right? Yes. So yeah, Planeswalkers are considered a permanent. Which a lot of, like, like your murders, for example. Yeah. They can only hit creatures, while in Anguished Unmaking, it's the same mana value, the new term for converted mana cost. It's the same mana value as a murder, but it's white-black one instead of black-black one. So having that white in its color identity, along with the three extra life you have to pay, it's a small price to pay for that much flexibility in a removal spell. Yeah. Now, would you say Simic is your favorite of the guilds? Uh, I would say Simic is probably my favorite of the guilds. It's definitely the most I've played. It's the most I've built. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like the... The ramp that green gives you with the removal and denial that blue gives you. So, and I will say that is one thing that Orzov sh- tends to struggle with is the mana acceleration and the card draw, which Simic has no problem getting. Right, like one of my favorite cards for card draw is in blue, Ristic Study. I played a game with it yesterday. And I, I drew like twenty cards off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, another really good card draw and play land engine and single card is AC the the Tyrant of Infinite Gyre. It's AC Infinite Gyre, something like AC that. AC Infinite Gyre, something like that. Yeah, uh, but it's in my Simic deck. But it's a single card that lets you play an extra land per turn, and you get to draw a card anytime a land enters your battlefield, not just when you play them. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so, so if you play something like an Explosive Vegetation, search your deck for two basic lands, put them on the battlefield tap... You're going to draw, draw two, two cards. cards. Yeah, there's, there's no getting around the amount of ramp and acceleration that Simic has. So that's why, as the Orzhov player... I just play Armageddon. Everyone's everyone's miserable. <laughs> oh, land destruction. Uh, it gets a lot of hate. It gets a but lot of hate. I actually had a conversation with Matt the other day where it's looking like uh, land destruction might have to come back. Because one thing that a lot of people like to say in Commander is Mono White is bad. Mono White's not bad. Mono it, White's... If, you want mono white to be effective, it's not going to be fun. Right. Because white has a lot of taxing resource denial effects 
such as what the one I just mentioned, Armageddon or Ravages of War. They're the exact same cards, two different names. Four mana, destroy all lands. That includes your own. Mm -hmm. But if you're spending your game playing mana rocks and accelerating that way, as opposed to ramping out more lands, you're nowhere near as affected by that Armageddon as your opponents. Play like a smothering tithe, let it go around a couple turns, mm -hmm. build up your, tr your treasures on your turn, Armageddon, everybody loses their lands. I've still got a stockpile of treasure to spend. And that actually brings me back to one of the decks I played back when I was in college. It was an Avacyn Angel of Hope. But she's an 8-mana angel with Flying and Vigilance. And she says all permanents you control are indestructible. Lands are permanents. Yes, they are. And I played Armageddon in that deck. And I played Wrath of God, Phyrexian Rebirth. It was a board white deck. Yep. And one card that goes really well with Avacyn, depending who you ask, you know, what side of the table you're on, would be Armageddon. Not only that, Nevenirl's Disc. Because do you know how Nevenirl's Disc is worded? No. Tap. Destroy all artifacts, enchantments, and creatures. It doesn't say anything in there about sacrificing it, does it? No. And if you give your Nevenirl's Disc indestructible, it sticks around turn after turn after turn. It does. Mm -hmm. So every turn you can wipe the board of all artifacts, creatures, and... Yeah, artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. Did you get a lot of hate for that one? I got a lot of hate the first time I cast an Armageddon. I was playing a five-player commander pod one day when I was in school. It was between classes. And, well, first of all, five-player game between classes. We had a lot of time between classes. Yeah, it's got to be like four or five hours between classes. Uh, the guy sitting to my right, uh, he was playing a mono-blue creatureless control deck. I was playing Avacyn, we had a dragon player, a mono-black player, and someone playing Zendersplit and Ocon, the coin-flippy tribal deck. You had a mono-black player? Yes. Did this mono-black player have Urborg and Cabal Coffers? They didn't get a chance to play it. I was like, they weren't, they weren't playing true mono black. Also, college budget. But anyway, uh, as we got around to turn four, I had played some mana rocks and done whatever. I noticed the mono blue player. He was playing Teferi. He was committed to that creatureless control. But we got got around. I had noticed people had kind of stalled on playing land, so I dropped an Armageddon. No Avacyn or anything on board. Just to clear the lands, and I still got all my rocks to keep me above surface. Got the guy playing creatureless control immediately concedes. That does tend to happen when you lose all of your mana. Mm-hmm. And I eventually, like a couple turns later, got Avacyn out because the deck ran an obscene amount of ramp because you need it in order to get an Avacyn out consistently. Yeah. In mono white. This may have been before smothering tithes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm just slowly going around the table, beating face for 8 damage at a time with my commander while wiping the board every couple turns. Which, when your life is only 20, 8 is a lot. Well, it's 40, but... 20... Oh, you were playing commander. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was commander, and it was uh, 21 commander damage. Avacyn needs to connect 3 times yeah. to kill you. No matter what your life total, 3 hits from Avacyn and you're dead. Yep. Granted, I took that deck apart because eh, I had fun. No one else did. Yeah. And I only built that deck because someone said I wouldn't. 
feel like that's how a lot of your stuff comes together. Oh yeah, you. Someone gives me a challenge, I will try to do it. So what? What would you say, aside from Orozov and Simic, would be your third guild that you would like to do? Uh, are we talking gameplay or are we talking the philosophy? We'll go philosophy. And and I will I will say any color combination, barring all five. The philosophy of the Rakdos is very interesting. It is. Rakdos is just chaotic in a nutshell. Because <laughs> uh, if you don't know the Rakdos on the plane of Ravnica, which is where all of these different guild names come from, it is the representation of black and red. And in Rakdos... A lot of their cards are themed around circus folk and torture at the same time. <laughs> what can I say? Chaotic evil in a nutshell. It really is. No, I think we're we should, I think we're coming up on an end here. But before we stop, I want to know of the decks you've built. What has been your favorite commander deck that you've built? Favorite commander deck I've built? Favorite commander deck I've built? I am going to have to say Scarab God. Demir. Mill. It is all mill. It is... You don't get to play your things. I play my commander... Let's see the creatures in your graveyard you didn't get to play. I get to play them. And just add a bit of context, when he says Demir, that's black and blue. Yep. What's your favorite? This might come as a shock to you, but it's not Slivers. <laughs> I do love me some Slivers, but my favorite deck is not Slivers. My favorite deck that I built has probably got to be my Derevian Peril Tactician deck I built a while back. Now, did you ever get a chance to play against that one before I, I took your not. part? So that deck had a really fun shtick to it. If you don't know, Derevi says when he comes in, tap or untap target permanent, and whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, tap or untap target permanent. It can be yours, it can be your opponent's, it can be whatever. A lot of people build Derevi as stacks, meaning complete and utter resource denial, no one can play the game. I didn't want to do that. Derevi, he says right on the card, he likes to tap and untap permanents. So my deck was all permanents except for one card. That one card being Primal Surge. Primal Surge is a 10-mana sorcery. Reveal top card of your deck. If it's a permanent, put it on the battlefield, repeat this process. So I cast Primal Surge. My entire deck flips onto the battlefield. And then all chaos happens. And if I were to try and play that deck on Magic Online... Probably break magic online anytime I resolve a primal surge. <laughs> yep. Well, like you said, we are coming up on our end. Um, we would like to thank you guys for watching. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. And hopefully by then we might know some Yu-Gi-Oh!
We'll definitely, I'll put in some research trying to figure out if I can find any structure decks anywhere. See if we can learn by playing against each other and then kind of talk to the Yu-Gi-Oh guys around here and see if we can get some more information. Absolutely. Uh, I'm John. I'm Steven. This has been Uncard.